you're dismissed. Wow. Pastor is in Florida today with with Sharon there. He's down being, uh, getting his annual review. Um, and then he is uh, going to be part of a John Maxwell conference. So he is uh, learning and growing and so that we can learn and grow. He's raising his lid so our lid can be raised along with it. Amen? Amen. So you get me tonight. I hope that's all right. Hey, my fan is here. That's awesome. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, God, the name that's above every name, we come before you. What an honor it is, Lord God, to be able to use that name, to speak that name, to be identified with that name. Father, it is our honor and privilege, Lord God, to call you Father, Jesus to call you Lord, Holy Spirit to call you Teacher, Comforter, and Guide. And so, Father, tonight we just pray that as we get into your word and as we study your word, Lord, Holy Spirit, in your brilliance, you will teach us. In your genius, you'll make things relevant. You'll make things open. You'll make things clear. You'll cause revelation to come. And, Father, we will leave here today changed by the word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, a lot of years ago, um, I went to college. I was at Central Michigan University, and I was a music major at Central. Um, and uh, had some awesome classes that I loved at Central. I was in the marching band. Loved it. Was in the jazz labs. Loved it. I was in uh, music theory. Loved it. Music history. Hated it. Absolutely hated it. It was my major. So if it's your major, you got to get a C or better to pass the class. Nope. Not the first time around for this boy. I failed it. I got just under a 2.0 at a 1.9. I had to do the class that I hated again. But I showed them and I got like a 2.2 second time around. So by golly, I passed it. But I couldn't make myself do what it took to learn it. I just couldn't go into those labs and put those headphones on and listen to Gregorian chant and know what what monk wrote what, in what year that he wrote it, and like it, just couldn't do it. But that's what I had to do. Because the church, in all its wisdom, decided to throw worship out the window. And the church, in all of its wisdom, not led by the Holy Spirit, decided that there were going to be implied rules of what the church could or could not do based on the wisdom of man. And you could listen to it in all its reproduced glory, because back when they were doing it in the fourth century, they didn't have any way to record it. 
So what I was listening to was obviously modern things, but it was, You might as well hit yourself over your head with the album that you were listening to. That's right. That's how long ago I took it. It was an album. And, and here was one of the cool things that the church decided early on. You ready for this? Harmony was of the devil. God intended music to be sung in unison. So the monks would sing in unison. Don't you feel bad for the monk that was tone deaf and he didn't have a choice, but he couldn't follow the melody, so he kind of did an assimilation of harmony. He was stoned to death by our benevolent, loving church if he harmonized, because he was obviously of the devil. Things that I learned. Oh, and then the church, in its wisdom, a few years later, when they figured out they were stoning too many of their, their monks, they decided, we can sing in fifths. That's okay. That's God. So a fifth, for example, is, uh, for example, here comes the bride. Dun, dun, da, da. That's a fourth. So da, da. One, three, five, one, five. That's a fifth. So you can sing that far apart. Uh-huh. It, and that was God. And you had to be able to identify it and blah, 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 and I just didn't like it. Then finally, the church realized you can sing in thirds, and then you can sing in minor keys. It would be okay. And worship began to be just as dry as it was. But still, there was worship. God intended for worship to be this tool for the church to use, and it was early. I mean, with the church, you can read scriptures, they were encouraged to come together with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making music, melody in your heart to the Lord. That we're to encourage each other, that we're to, to build each other up with this, this amazing thing that God gave us called music. And yet, man took it and just <clears throat> squished it down to almost nothing. God... If you would turn with me in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28. So from the 4th century Gregorian chants to the 16th century when, when uh, you know, Wesleyan hymns began to, to take over. By the way, did you realize when the pilgrims came to the United States, they brought four songs with them, four worship songs, that the church, the church approved only four songs that could be sung because there was only four songs that were holy. So the pilgrims used four songs in their worship service. Isn't that amazing? It's all they had to choose from. You know what one of them was? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. It was one of the songs. The doxology as we know it. Yeah. So, I mean, even by that time, the time of the pilgrims, we hadn't gained a lot of ground. But now, you know, I mean, look at what we have. Look at look at the explosion. When I first got born again in the seventies, there wasn't a lot of, of of ability out there for to choose from worship. I mean, there were there were the the hymns, the Presbyterian hymn book that that we used to sing out of when Amazing Grace first got started. Just like a tree that's planted by the wall, to Lord I will not be moved. 
Sing it with me. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. Just like a tree. This planet, sorry, spit on you. Oh, utter Lord, I shall not be moved. Right? Hey, we'd come a long way. But all of a sudden, there was some contemporary music beginning to happen. Carrie and I, we, we just really felt called by God into music. And we weren't really into the gospel quartet style of music or the traditional hymns. I came out of the Episcopal Church, and the Episcopalians hadn't gone much farther than, than the 1600 Wesleys. Wesleyans, not much at all. Although we had a great organist in our church to sing the hymns, I did, had no idea what half of them even were saying or doing. And to be able to sing the melody, uh, it was either going to be too high or it was going to be too low, all in the same song. I, I just didn't have a range big enough. Couldn't do it. So my sister and I would have a little bit of fun. One would sit on one side of my dad. One, one of us would sit on the other side. So dad was between Wendy and I. I'd sing tenor in his ear. She'd sing alto in his ear. And dad would be, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And he'd be all over the place. So our worship wasn't really God-focused. But now, I mean, we have things like, you know, we were just listening beforehand in prayer, Bethel. You know, I mean, just amazing intimacy. We have, you know, name some names out there, you know, I mean, that, that, that you like in worship. You know, the, the Hillsong, Darlene Check, some of those people, just incredible stuff. Uh, Reuben Morgan, the, the, you know, um, and so on and so on and so on. Well, Carrie and I, we, back in the, in the late 70s, really felt called into music. So we, because there wasn't a lot of our style out there, we formed a band. We put a band together. We traveled, a group called Gethsemane. In fact, there might be an album floating around here. Tim? He's gone. I just gave, we just gave Tim an album. Tonight we found a whole bunch of, cases, boxes of albums at my mother-in-law's that we had recorded. But uh, we even got, we even got a, a, a review by, by, uh, um, uh, by uh, Jimmy Swaggart in his magazine, wrote a review about us, how we were of the devil. Because we, we had a rock feel to our music. We're leading hundreds of kids, thousands of kids to Christ getting them filled with the Holy Spirit, watching miracles happen. And yet, Jimmy Swagger, by name, mentions us as our magazine as of the devil. And we were mentioned with Petra, uh, Gethsemane, and uh, um, in uh, Res Band out of Chicago. It was just like an amazing thing. But the church is, has come a long way. Oh, there's the album right there. Tim's got it. He's showing it right there. Yep. Take a look at Carrie. She looks really cute back then. In Ezekiel chapter 28, I want you to turn to verse 12. I don't want to put a bummer on things. But music has been under attack. Since before man. Ezekiel 28, here we have God through Ezekiel prophesying and remembering and sharing what happened. Son of man, 
raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, raise a lamentation. Hey, this is, this is not good. This is bad. We're lamenting. We're in sorrow. Can you imagine the heart of God? God is this amazing, loving, awesome, exuberant, excited guy, if I can say it that way, who loves music, loves worship, loves to be worshiped. Not, he's not arrogant. He is not out of line, but he's worthy. And he is a worshiper in heaven. His name is Lucifer. And Lucifer has musical instruments built right into him. And listen what happens. Thus says the Lord God, you are the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. I guess, despite how it sounds, it's beautiful. Carbuncle. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in all your ways from the day that you were created till unrighteousness was found. Can you imagine God? The creator of Lucifer, this beautiful creature, had purpose. It had a call, was anointed, that was placed by God himself. Suddenly there was unrighteousness found in him. The heart of God broke. Heart of God broke. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned and it broke my heart but I had to cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and against all that I am I destroyed you O guardian cherub from the midst of the stones of fire your heart was proud because of your beauty You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. And I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you by the multitude of your iniquities. In the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you. And I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. Wow. God was forced to do something that was not in his nature. 
God gives life. God is a life giver. But yet because of pride, because of, of arrogance, because of, of taking this beautiful thing called worship and perverting it and turning it to himself, the enemy sinned. The devil sinned. And God cast him out. And in that, the great spiritual battle that we're part of has always been fought over worship. We're in a spiritual battle now. And in its root is in worship. Um, Lucifer picked a fight with God. Who knows exactly when? We don't know. Before Adam. And he was kicked out of heaven, cast to the earth. He deceived Eve and sin came into man. Um, you know, think about it. Lucifer was an angel that had access to the throne room of God all the time. And some uh, believe that he led the angels as they worshiped God. I believe that. I think he was the worship leader of heaven. But his heart was lifted up because of his beauty. Um, he decided he no longer wanted to be a worshiper of God. Instead, he wanted to be a worshiper of himself. Um, he was corrupt. His wisdom was corrupt. He was full of pride. He was cast down. The worship war was on. Uh, Judges chapter 1. Let's look at this real quick. I'm going to show you what God did, though. Ephesians just tells us that we were created for the praise of his glory. We are created to be worshipers. Judges chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land unto his hand. Who's going to go up? Who's going to fight for us? Who's going to go? Joshua's dead. The Lord says, send Judah. He's going to go. Let's back up into Genesis chapter 49, and let's read real quick what Abraham says about Judah. Not Abraham. um, um, Jacob. (laughs) Abraham, Isaac, Jacob says about his son, Judah. He's prophesying. He's he's near death, and so he's speaking over his boys. Uh, Chapter 49, verse 8, is where he starts to prophesy over Judah. Genesis 49, 8. Whatever I said, that's what I meant. Genesis 49, 8. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub from the, from the prey. My son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion, as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until the tribe, until the tribute come to him, and to him shall be the obedience of all the peoples. Judah, Judah means praise. Not just praise, but praise Yahweh. It also, it, 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 the word praise means value. Places value. On God. Judah will place, praise will place value 
on God. And here he's, he's prophesied that out of you, Judah, will come everything that out of praise is going to come everything that it's going to take to rule and subdue the earth. Out of Judah, Jesus is the lion, part of the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is, he is a descendant of this prophetic word. This word that Jacob spoke over Judah was directly to Christ and part of his inheritance. It was for Judah, it was for Christ, and it's for us. And it's for us. That, that God is going to take praise and place value back into God. And God put that into man. We became the replacement for Lucifer as the worshipers of God for the praise of his glory. Man, though, in, in just like what happened with Adam and Eve when they were deceived and, and sin came in, man fell short. And man has lost track of what his creation was meant for. Acts chapter 2 Verse 1 talks about the Holy Spirit being poured out. Jesus had died. Jesus had gone into hell. He rose on the third day. He ascended into heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit. And suddenly, man was put back in a position of authority, of redemptive authority, of power over the earth. And man was reunited with his call and his positioning as a worshiper in the house of God as a worshiper, not only in the house of God, but more important and the focus we need to have, a worshiper in the presence of God. Worshiper in the presence of God. When Israel came out of Egypt and they were in the wilderness, uh, Moses uh, commissioned the tabernacle. And things were put in the tabernacle, the parts and the pieces. But one of them was the Ark of the Covenant that housed the presence of God. The cherubs, you know, if you've ever seen Indiana Jones, you've seen it, they found it in that, right there in whatever, in uh, uh, Alexandra, no, no, that was where they found the other one. Um, wherever they found it, no, they haven't found it, they don't, they don't know it, where it's at. But that's the ark. We know that the, the staff that Moses had that budded was in there, the, the, uh, the Ten Commandments were put in there, some manna was put in there. But it, it housed the presence of God. And everywhere that that was put, guess what Israel would do? They would camp around it. The whole tribe of Israel, however many million there might have been, ark, the presence of God, was put in the middle, and then the people lived around the presence. And we know that they would come and they would worship and, and then sacrifices were being brought and being given in the, under the Old Testament. We know when Jesus was crucified that the veil in the temple was ripped in two and suddenly the presence of God wasn't captured in a box, but the presence of God was released because man could now stand and live in the presence of God because of the redemptive work of the blood. And we were reunited with the purpose of worshiping God unencumbered in his presence. Wow. So here we are. Now we're vessels 
commissioned by God to sing his praises, to glorify his name, to come with songs and hymns and spiritual song, make melody in our heart to the Lord, and not only be a blessing and a, a lifter of God, but a lifter of one another and a helper of one another. A man had to take this track. He had to figure some things out along the way. Let's took, um, I'm, For the sake of time, I'll just tell you the stories. Is that okay? This guy named Jonah. You guys ever hear of Jonah? Jonah, Jonah had a little bit of an issue. Um, he woke up one morning and uh, he, he heard the voice of God. And, uh, and God said, uh, <clears throat> he said, I got a job for you. So Jonah um, hears the voice of the Lord. He woke up this morning. He jumped out of bed. He heard the voice of heaven. Go to Nineveh, it said. And Jonah said, no way, I'm not going there, Lord. So to the sea, he fled. Then he hopped on a ship. It started to float. Then a storm came up. They threw him off the boat. He said, is that a fish underneath me? Gulp. Yep, right down his throat. He's got the fish bait blues. Jonah did. He got the fish bait blues. He's got the fish bait blues. Oh, yeah. He was the fish bait blues. So I found myself in the belly of a fish. Of all the food in the ocean, how come I'm the main dish? Then I said, God, are you mad at me? I just heard burp, gurgle, and swish. Then I humbled myself and I started to pray. With a voice of thanksgiving, I offered worship and praise. Then, oh no, another first. I became fish vomit that day. I got the fish bait blues. I got the fish bait blues. I am the fish bait blues. Oh, oh. I got the fish bait blues. Story of Jonah. Jonah found himself in the belly of a fish. Matthew records it as a whale. You can debate that all you want. Do it at home. And here he was, and he realized all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I am in big trouble. I've rebelled. I have an issue. I got nothing else I can do, but God, I have, I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to repent, and I'm going to offer you worship and praise. And at that moment, the Bible says that the fish vomited Jonah out of his mouth that moment. Can you imagine Jonah as he comes out of the fish, having been in there three days and three nights? There's, there's, there's stomach acid in the fish's belly. Can you imagine the shape of his skin? He probably had no hair. Got eaten off. I mean, this guy's probably no clothes. He's got a little seaweed wrapped around him. Thank goodness. He's bleached white as they come. And he comes into Nineveh and he goes, repent. You know what they did? They repented. Isn't that awesome? Jonah, his worship not only saved him. His, his worship put him in a position that God could use him and an entire city was saved. 
An entire city was saved. Why? Because he chose to worship God. He chose to repent, but in repentance, suddenly there was redemption, and that redemption caused worship. There was a, there was a guy named uh, Jehoshaphat, and he was king, and you can read about him in, in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And he's got this army in, uh, of Israel, but he's got a problem. The armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir have come against him, and he is outgunned big time. And so what are we going to do? We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. We need a plan. God, help us, please. God gives him a plan. Woo-hoo! Got the plan, everybody. Gather around. Worship team, need you up front right now. Come here. Come on, worship team, right up front. Singers, trumpet players, come on, right up front. Here they come. God, what's, what's the plan? What's the plan? What's the plan? You know, can you see? What is it? And they say, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go into battle. Oh, cool. We're going to say, we're going to stand behind everybody and, and sing great songs as we send out the army. And he says, no, God said, we're not going to do it that way. We're going to put the singers up front. Uh, I resigned from the worship team. Can I be an usher, please? Can you imagine? Here's the general. Can you know what the general was thinking? Wait, wait a minute. I'm the, I'm the warrior. I'm the leader. I need to lead the army into battle. No, 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 no. We're going to put the worship up front. That's the plan from God. Okay, worship leader, Dawson, find the song. What's the song that we're going to lead an army into battle with where we're outnumbered big time? So the worship leader, man, you know, he's, he's kind of like, I don't know. I don't know what I can do. Okay, the Lord's good. He's good. He's merciful, endures forever. Let's do in the key of G, because that's always a good key. Okay, how can they go? For the Lord is good, and His mercy endures forever. Did you put reverb on that? Nice. For the Lord is good. Yeah, yeah, that works. His mercy endures forever For the Lord is good And His mercy endureth forever For the Lord is good And His mercy endureth forever Forever and ever Sing to the Lord Make a joyful sound sing a song. The Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. They get so caught up in this worship that they have forgotten about the fight. And God then 
says, cool, now that you forgot about it and your mind is off it and you're not worried about it, I can step in and I can be God and I can be great on your behalf. And as you worship me, watch me do something on your behalf. They came up over the hill and you know the story, Ammon. And Moab turned on the army of Mount Sierra and destroyed it. Then they turned on one another and killed each other. And it took them three days, Israel, when they came up over the hill and found all their enemy destroyed, it took them three days to collect the spoils of the battle that God had won on their behalf because they chose to worship. Not, oh, God, are you serious? You know, I know that not everybody is in the perfect state of mind. But God is great in mercy. And as you put yourself in a position that says, I'm going to lift my voice. I'm going to worship you, God. God puts himself in a position that says, I'm going to do something great on your behalf. But God, I don't have the greatest voice in the world. Make a joyful noise. I've made a couple noises today. And it's all right. Because your heart is right. Because your intentions are right. Because God is worthy. And guess what? You're moving in obedience. Obedience to sing. Obedience to lift your voice. Obedience to give him glory and honor. There was a couple guys. They were, uh, they, this is a New Testament story. A couple guys, they were, uh, they were uh, going along preaching, minding their own business actually minding God's business, preaching away. And this uh, young girl who was filled with the devil kept coming behind him and going, these guys are prophets of God. These are men of God. They're prophets of God. They're men of God. They're prophets of God. What is that? I mean, that sounds okay, doesn't it? That guy was Paul and Silas. They were prophets of God. But she kept yelling it and yelling it and yelling it. Paul finally got sick of it. Why? She was saying they're prophets of God because she was filled with the devil. She was possessed by the devil. And she was not acting in her own obedience. She was in captivity to the enemy. And Paul said, we're not going to have any of that. He cast the devil out of her. Well, her owners, because she was a slave, who were making money off her soothsaying and her her, uh, you know, the, uh, what do you call that? Uh, the, uh, uh, yeah, but, uh, the, huh? Soothsayer, uh, um, what do you call that stuff? Psychic. That's the word I was trying to come up with. <laughs> he lost money because she was no longer Psychic. And so they had Paul and Silas arrested, of all things, threw them in the prison. Not just any prison. Back then, a Roman prison was pretty darn nasty. It was a series of caves, and there was levels in the cave, and they were thrown in the deepest level. And so here they are at the bottom of this cave at the deepest level. Guess what happens to liquids? Huh? They go downhill, doesn't it? Yep. Goes downhill. They're sitting in it. It's not only a nasty, terrible place. They're in chains. They're in bondage. Suddenly, it's midnight. 
darkest time, darkest point. You know what they start doing? They start worshiping. Yeah, they did. What was their song? See, Paul and Silas probably had a little 50s feel to them. worshiping the Lord, but they did it loud enough that all the prisoners heard him worship. We worship you, Jesus, we do. We worship you. And God, do you hear that? God's in heaven. He's leaning over heaven. He's looking down. Woohoo, boys, I love it. Let's get some drums going. Come on, angels. Let's go. They got into it. Look, it's a little stamping stomping going on and clapping and all of a sudden heaven was rocking so much the earth began to shake not only the earth but right in that prison began to shake and the bible says that the earth shook and it released these guys from their chains all of them not just paul and silas everybody everybody the jailer rushed in saw that they had been released he was going to kill himself don't do it we're still here And the Bible says that they went home with the jailer and even the jailer's family got born again. Some of you are dealing with things in your life that have bound you up, that have chained you, that have put you in a position that you say, I'm desperate. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. And God says, sing me a song. Sing me a song. What? God says, trust me. Trust me. He says, I've chosen the foolish things to confound the wise. Sing me a song. I've put a melody in your heart. Sing it back to me. But God, I don't know it. Yes, you do. If you start singing it, it'll just come out. How will it come out? By faith. But God, no, no, no. I do everything by faith with you guys. Everything? Yeah, you're, you're, by grace, you're saved through faith. Yeah. Oh, oh, you're healed by faith. Oh, yeah, you're filled with the Holy Spirit by faith. You're blessed by faith. You worship by faith. You get the right song and melody by faith. Faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Everything we do takes faith because without it, we're doing it on our own. But by when we do it in faith, we're doing it led by the Holy Spirit. But aren't I just singing something? 
But when you do it by faith, you're being led by the Spirit of God. And you're beginning to put yourself in that position of victory where heaven begins to clap and stomp and all of a sudden chains begin to break and your life begins to get set free and delivered from that bondage. And not only does God do something great on your behalf, but he turns that into a victory for your family, for your friends, for your neighbors. Ready for this? Your enemies. The jailer was Paul and Silas's enemy in the natural but not in God's eyes. That jailer was a son. Uniquely positioned to find his purpose and his destiny. God placed him there. And he met the living God through Paul and Silas's worship. God wants us to begin to Begin to worship without reservation. Begin to worship without fear. Not to be caught up and not to be worried about how we sound or, or, or if it's the song that we like. But from this heart that God has transformed and, and caused to be intimate in a place of dwelling for his spirit, he desires us to sing. He desires us to to sing forth his praise, his glory, his honor, and to cause that moment of worship to be a, a point of victory in our lives to transform and change us. And not to shrink back from it. And not to be embarrassed of it. it. The whole prison heard Paul and Silas. There's some scriptures, and for the sake of time, I'm, I'm not going to go through them tonight because I have way too many notes if, if I'm going to use my notes. But there's, but there's scriptures that even talk about that we need to be heard. You know, we don't sing to ourselves, but we make a joyful noise. We, 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 we get loud and we get boisterous, and God desires that. Why? Because the joy of the Lord that flows out of us. Where have you been taken from? Where were you before you met Christ? What was your life like? What has God delivered you from? More importantly, what, God has, what has God delivered you into? The kingdom of his dear son. And if that can't put a song of praise on your lips, nothing will. But here's the thing. When we go into worship, when we go into the, you know, those times of song, we as a church need to begin to expect God to do something. We need to begin to expect God to alter the plow and turn it into a sword. We need to be like Judah when he said, the scepter will be there. The rod will constantly be there. What is the rod and the scepter? What do they represent? Authority and testimony. They represent the the authority of God and then the victories that come and that are recorded based on that authority and that power that come through Judah, through worship. As Judah goes in, and guess what Judah does? Possesses the land. Your worship causes you to possess your land. It causes you to possess your riches. It causes you to possess your blessing. It causes you to possess what God has poured out for you to have. Through worship? Yeah. Isn't that easy? Isn't that simple? It is. 
Is that all I have to do? Well, you, you're going to read the word. You're going to spend time in the presence. There's more to it. But that relationship, that intimacy through worship will cause you to grow. It's going to cause you to get a, a grip of who God is. When you spend time like Israel did, camped around the presence of God, guess what they got? The miraculous of God. They're camped around the presence of God. They need water. Here it is. I need food. Here it is. Was everybody fed manna? No, just those people who camped around the presence. Happened to be Israel. But they weren't getting manna in Egypt. Quail. We'll take some quail. And we realize that these people, they had some issues in their in, in why they wanted things. They, you know, they were griping and complaining a little bit. But, but even in the midst of that, was God loving? Yeah. Was God merciful? Absolutely. It's his character and it's his nature. He goes to, he goes to Moses in, in, in the mountain. Moses goes up to worship. People decide they don't want to go up. God shows up. There's some rumbling thunder and lightning. You can read about it in, in Exodus chapter 33, for example. And, and God has had Moses prepare them. They're ready to go. And they get a little afraid. Moses, you go up. We'll stay here. You go into the presence of the Lord. You hear what he has to say, and you come back and tell us what he says, and then we'll do everything that he says. God, his whole mandate for Israel to come out of the wilderness, come out into the wilderness was to worship him. Israel at that time were still under the covenant of Abraham, a relationship covenant. But by them refusing to go into the presence of the Lord and for their decision to say, you get us the rules and we'll follow the rules, they chose rules over relationship. And when they did that, they got the rules, thou shalt not. They got the law. And they lost the relationship. God never intended for man to lose that relationship. Never. But Moses then, in repentance, even as he comes down and they've made the golden calves, and he goes back up and says, God, don't kill him. I'm, you know, kill me if you have to, but, but I'm sorry. And God says, okay, I'll, I'll be merciful and spare him. Um, you know, I'm not, God says, why don't I start a new tribe through you? No, 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 Lord, you know, you can't do that. You love these people. He goes, yeah, I do. And, and he says, but, oh, by the way, God, can I see your glory? I mean, that's pretty brazen, I think. Can I see your glory? I mean, we're, we're here repenting. We've blown it. Can I see your glory? And God goes, yes, you can. He says, I'll show you my goodness. He says, I'll make my name known to you. That's covenant talk. He said, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy and compassion on whom I'll have compassion. Some people get that confused that God picks and chooses who he's going to have mercy on and who he's going to have compassion on. What he was telling Moses is, I choose who I'm merciful to. I choose where compassion goes. You don't get to pick for me. And guess who I choose? I'll be merciful on everybody. My mercies will be new every morning. I'll have compassion on the world, on every person on the earth. Every person has an opportunity to come 
into my presence. That's my choice. And so Moses comes down out of the mountain and he's shining his, in the glory of God. They had to put a veil over his face. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, and that glory was, even though it was fading, it was, it was incredible radiance that was on his face. People couldn't even look at it. And it was fading. And that glory came from seeing the, the, the as God says, the hinder parts. I'll show you my backside. Now, First Corinthians or Second Corinthians chapter three says, "Where the Lord is, or the, the Spirit, the Lord is Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom." And we, with unveiled, unveiled faces, Moses had the veil. There was an obscurity there. We get to take it away. He said, "With unveiled faces, unveiled faces, we behold not the hinder part of God. We." get to look into the face of God. Oh, here comes a brand new thing. Here comes the thing that God had intended from the beginning for man. Let's look eye to eye. And he said, you're going to behold me. And he goes, and you're going to be transformed into my likeness by this reflection, looking at me from glory to glory. That glory, that 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 the nature of God, the character of God, who God is, and it's going to transform you. And you're going to not decrease like Moses was. You're going to continue to increase. And he said, and therefore, since you have this ministry, don't lose heart. What ministry? Being like him. Being like him. Being able to be in his presence, to behold him, to worship him, to be changed by him so that we might fulfill all the things that God has intended for man to fulfill from the beginning. And it all comes through an intimate, worshipful relationship of not being afraid to go up into the presence of the Lord and look and see. And here's the other cool thing. Touch. And it all comes in these times of worship. You know, the church has messed a few things up, and I'm guilty of it right today. Let me tell you what it is. We came today, and we worshiped, but we camped around a sermon. This is the feature thing. The sermon is the feature part of the show. It all builds up to the sermon. We worship God to get your hearts ready to receive the word. Well, how God intended it. God intended it that we camp around the presence of the Lord. And it's the word that transforms us and changes us through coming in an encounter of face-to-face with the presence of God. Now, we can come into the presence of God through a sermon. So I'm not saying we don't have sermons. But when you come, you come desiring his presence. You get in his presence through worship. And the transformation process then is his. To take you and to change you from an outgunned, outmanned army to a victorious army that's collecting the spoils. From a nation that has come up against a walled city that's not beatable 
and yet you march around at silence seven times and you shout praises to God and God takes and pushes it straight down into the ground and you win the battle. It's your fish bait. And God says, not today. Throw him up. Now go save a city because he offered me worship. We were established in intimate presence. In a prison? Nope. Not anymore. Be released. Not just so you can go free, but so you can bring salvation to anybody and everybody who was willing to hear. God's amazing. God is absolutely incredible. He chose you to be in his presence, to be a life, tra- to be a life changer, to be a life transformer, to be great. Not so that you can be great, because we won't fall into what Lucifer fell into, but so we can make him famous. You know, I've been saying that for a lot of years. Let's make Jesus famous. Keep it up, church. You're doing great. You know, this church has an amazing reputation. I mean, I get hit up with it all the time. Hey, will you people at your church pray for me? Because I know when you guys pray, things happen. Come on down and experience it firsthand. There's still... Kind of, you go up to the mountain. But Israel will come around. Breckenridge will come around. Wheeler Township will come around. Saginaw coming around. Merrill's coming around. Wherever you're at, they're coming around. Why? Because you're doing it. Because you are inside the presence circle. And you're intimate face-to-face with God. Let it change you. And then use it. Be set free and then take it out. Pick up the spoils and be blessed. Father, in Jesus' name. Fathers, we come before you tonight. Lord, we are grateful (laughs) that, God, we are not about singing a song. God, we don't get stoned to death if we happen to harmonize. And, Lord God, it is not just about a song. It's more than a song. It's a heart of worship. It's a heart of intimacy. It's a relationship, God, that you have established and you've purposed and you chose how it would, how it would be. And God, we, we just get to say yes to it. We get to lift up our voices, God, and offer you praise and offer you glory. And God, then let you be great in the midst of it. As you are enthroned on, your, on the praises of your people, what happens from the throne? The king does his best work. What happens when the king is enthroned? Righteous judgment. Your best work, Lord. Healing, deliverance, salvation, prosperity, peace, hope, life, purpose. Thank you, Lord. Pray with me in the Holy Spirit, would you? Let's... God wants to do something here. We're going to give him a chance to do it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. For the Lord is good, 
And his mercy endureth forever. For the Lord is good. And his mercy endureth forever. For the Lord is good. And his mercy endureth forever. For the Lord is good. And his mercy endureth forever, forever and ever. Amen, Lord. You are good and your mercy does endure, Lord. And God, we are not afraid to proclaim it and be obedient to it, Lord God. If you're uh, needing prayer of any kind, I'm just inviting you to come up to the altar. We're going to pray for you. If you work the altar, please make sure you come up here and help. Um, we're going to conclude. It's it's late. Get your children. Um, Grandma Kathy's had a long week, so don't make her do too much overtime tonight. Uh, but if you need prayer, send somebody else back to get you.